You're rocking with The Griots. What's a griot? It's a storyteller, a poet, an artist, a culture keeper. Just two success coaches sharing life lessons and offering new perspectives. Celebrating life, love, and self. With ordinary people telling extraordinary stories. We're your hosts, Jamil B. and Keith Marcel, and this is The American Griot. This podcast is for everyone who's ready to stop stuffing themselves into boxes that no longer fit. It's about releasing the burden of black trauma and embracing creative ways to heal and recharge. You will hear real stories from real people that affirm, inspire, liberate, and restore us. We come and we go. They quick to forget. So every bougie event I attend, I tell them this. Assuming you're rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black Yo, 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 look, look Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black Smack bouts and racks on handmade do rags Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black That's everybody from sports to college class to rap and back Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black That's the realest thing I've heard all day Because it's true I mean, it's like a mantra Because I am I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Everyone. All of them. Yeah, we need to be rooting for each other. I mean, that's real. For real. That's real. We need to be rooting for each other. And this, that song just gives you that energy. I'm telling you, he said, he was like, from college class mm. to rap to the vice president of these United States, mm. I'm rooting for you, Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about that, though. Can we? Yes. Can we please? Because the last time we dropped, we didn't have the outcome. We did not have the verdict. But yet we know. And a lot has transpired since then. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited that our country has elected a new president. And we have elected the first black Mm. and Indian American woman. To VP. To VP. I know, man. We, We out here voting for the future. And, uh, you know, big ups to everybody that went out, whatever your vote was, you know, just getting out there. We hope that our episode eight really encouraged you to do something. Whatever that was, was is if you were already voting or encouraging somebody else. I mean, here we are today. We we have I have what I wanted. That's right. I Look, facts, hey, <laughs> I, my vote has been counted, you know, and, and like we said, it matters. It absolutely matters. So we're just so proud and grateful for everybody who did get out, you know, and vote. And now it's time to get to work, to stay aware and engaged in policies and practices and really continuing to show up for the conversations about black lives and how our stories are being impacted in this country. Right. And and in the last couple of episodes, we've been focusing on a theme of success, right? Mm-hmm. We challenge these ideas, these ideas that we hold about what it means to be successful and really encourage you to get curious about whether your definition still serves you. So right. then we broke down the five R method, which is a step-by-step guide that helps us to move beyond our limitations and manifest success in ways that are meaningful and fulfilling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you miss that, um, make sure to go back. Stop right now. We'll wait. Go to episodes nine and 10 and really catch up and join us here. You know, um, but we want to thank everyone who has been just coming along for the journey with us and staying engaged in this conversation. And all of the tribe members who offered their feedback on the 5R method and just how it's impacted them. Clap emoji. Yes, clap emoji. Raise <laughs> hand, uh, brown emoji. 
you know, they share their reactions and really what it caused them to reflect on in their own personal lives. And so that's what we want to reflect on today. Yeah. And some of the, the main topic areas, the common themes we've been seeing and hearing from our, our listeners um, are things like, how do I let myself feel OK with putting myself first? Mm. And how do I give myself the appropriate time and space to embrace steps one through three before jumping to four? Right. So like being ready, reframing how I'm feeling, um, reflecting before I get ready to hurry up and remove everything, <laughs> you know, that I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. But just really being in that process. I think another one that came out was how do I do all of that and still deal with other people's opinions of who it is I'm deciding to be? The hard part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how how to know when you're ready to make these changes? That's a big question. That's like, a when, really when big is one. it when is an appropriate time? And we could really relate to everything that they said. You know, in fact, it reminded us of many of our own stories, our lessons, our struggles and triumphs. For example, why do I fear success even though I want it so bad? So in this episode, we are going to offer our thoughts and experience on all of these questions. All right, let's jump in. Let's do it. I am an open book now. Got a few chapters written down. Still a few to go. Couldn't think coming down till I say so. So one of the most interesting things that we heard, it wasn't surprising, but it was still really affirming in terms of the importance of the content that we're sharing with you all. And that is how uncommon it is to think about our emotions. It's kind of like we know we have them, but we don't really stop and think about them. So it's like that bush that you walk past when you go into your house. Like, you know, it's there. But until someone points out, hey, that bush is important. You should pay attention to that bush. It's just kind of like, really? So it, it was kind of like a necessary reminder is what we heard. So one of our listeners, Raquel, an avid listener. Hi, Raquel. Hey, Raquel. Recently shared a revelation she had while listening to episode 10 with her young son during a car ride. So he wanted to know. He wanted to know why we sounded so depressing. <laughs> he was like, why are they talking about their emotions? <laughs> yeah, he's like, why, why are we talking about our emotions so much? Why do we sound this way? And although that's a, a typical preteen response, she was intrigued enough to ask him, what's wrong with talking about emotions? Mm. And interestingly, uh, his response was, I don't know. It's weird. And I don't like talking about mine. Isn't it weak? Question mark. Interesting. Yeah, it's an innocent perspective at that age, uh, likely developed by the world around him, you know, like all of us, but one that caused Raquel to reflect on some deeper connections and conversations her and her son should probably be having. Her response made me reflect on the same. I have two young ladies in my life that I show emotion and affection with, but after reading Raquel's story, I'm not totally convinced that I talk about the deeper level of emotions with my girls. And that expounded into reflecting on whether I even do that with my closest friends and family. We have these conversations, we have these times together, but how how deep do we go and are we on the same level? We treat emotions like this hyper-personal thing. And while they are ours to feel and experience, those around us are also affected by them and we are by theirs. And I spend time with my emotions, feeling them, analyzing them, 
getting comfortable with them. But I used to live in this space where I assumed that everyone else was doing the same. Yeah, because if we're being honest, talking about emotion is taboo. It's not something that we do often. And I think that there are definitely a couple of reasons for that. But what's ironic is that emotions are what makes powerful stories, right? How many characters do you absolutely love because of how they emoted, how they moved through? And if we think of our role as griots, if we think of our life stories and what we are creating every single day, they aren't characters that are emotionless. They are ones that are layered and passionate. And so we want to figure out how do we deal that? Those are the things that take us to that next level, you know, at that very uh, pinnacle point where you just need to make a move. It's the emotion that comes through and carries you there. And then what you reflect back on. And like you were saying, I mean, any good book, if you have these emotionless characters, then, uh, then why read the book? <laughs> why read the book? <laughs> Don't nobody want to read that book. Yeah. So. So, yeah, and I make that point because I think that, yes, it's a work to get into dealing with our emotions, but it's well worth it, right? It's because we're becoming better versions of ourselves. So I mentioned that I think that there are two reasons why emotions are taboo. I think, first of all, as Americans, it's not a part of our society. Like, we do not deal with our emotions much at all, and that's not hard to prove. But as black people... A response to our survival as living black in this country has been to learn how to suppress, cover, avoid, deny the the strong emotion that we carry every single day because it has often physical or financial consequences to them. Yeah, and you can look back in your own home in the past and kind of see how those emotions have been suppressed and how it was perpetuated maybe from you growing up to maybe now your children or your parents down to you to suppress those emotions to keep them down because there's just not time for them you know there's just no time you're 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 competing right now and you're already starting from negative so put all that aside and focus on what you need to do and get through there uh but and then deal with it later when you're an adult and it's all messed up so Raise your get hand. These, get in these good 30s and realize, yeah. what am I doing? Raise your hand if that's you, because uh, I think that's a lot of us. And, and it has it's a big part of our, our black story. And it's it's been that way for a while. You made me think of just a memory growing up where I did not understand why my mom was so short with me growing up, you know. But as a mother, man, I get it. I get what parents go through, black parents, what they go through, especially when you have more than one child and you have the world in your mind and on your shoulders and you're trying to create safe and nurturing spaces for your kids and you have to tell them to do the same thing three times. And on the third time, it comes out like a firecracker and you're like, you brought this on yourself. (laughs) I don't have time to keep explaining this to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I listen, when it comes to school and it, it's just an interesting concept to me because, I mean, I wasn't a scholar, you know, I got through it, but I had to go through it getting told three times. <laughs> but I mean, the patience that I don't show right now, I'm reflecting on on a daily basis because I'm like, I was, you're better than I was, but I'm giving you the hard time and Man. saying you don't have time to, to be stressed out. 
But it's because of that exact thing we're talking about where it's just in our system right now where we have to suppress that because you got to get ahead. You got to get these grades. You got to do these things. But let's just take a moment and step back, you know, and, and there's another way. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. another way. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is it, this journey is remembering and recognizing that we are constantly like practicing and then relearning and then practicing and then relearning. Like we're not going to get it right every time, but it's it's keeping it in front of us. It's keeping our emotions in front of us so that we can decide how we want to deal with it differently. And I definitely think we do deal with our emotions, but the way that we deal with them usually is through tapping into our spiritual systems, right? Like I think it's um, for a lot of people, it's going to church. It's, you know, connecting to whatever your religion is or whatever your spiritual system is and trying to find ways to help you, you know, to process emotion that way. For me, you know, I grew up in the church, but I can often, I can definitely say that I know I'm a spiritual being and that has been very salient to my growth, but it carried a lot of um, shame, you know, and guilt when it comes to figuring out how to do things, quote unquote, right, or how to be better. And I think with 5R, we're rejecting the shame, we're rejecting the guilt, we're rejecting anything that doesn't make you feel whole, but, you know, helping you to just open up to reflecting and to removing without judgment. Yeah. I remember my uh, Catholic church days, you know, those are good. Those are good times uh, in reflection, but at the time they were hard. Mm -hmm. You know, we had those, those spaces saved for us to talk through emotions, but it was in the form of confession you said you haven't really been to the catholic church but oh no no i went one time one time i went, I went one time did your knees was, hurt from the they were kneeling? i was too big i went when i was in guatemala and i was like the biggest person in the country and i couldn't fit <laughs> <laughs> my knees were on fire yo i had to do this one finger and walk out after a while yeah it, it there there's these spaces there um but it it took more work you know it took more mm-hmm. work and more personal work to really face those those emotions later. I think what's also interesting though about that is confessing to other people how you're feeling before you have an opportunity to confess to yourself. Yeah. It was almost like a job. It was like, okay, I gotta get, what are the three things that I'm really ashamed of this week? And I have to talk through, uh, so I don't go empty handed, but it was, it wasn't like, okay, I've actually talked through this already for myself with my family. I, I feel good with this and I have a solution. It was just like, no, Let me dump this. One thing I really want to point out with 5R is it is an additional set of practices and tools and resources to add to whatever is already working for you, right? Because we can look at all the things that aren't working, but they're absolutely things that are. And so this is to kind of add to that toolkit, you know? Yeah, it's just like a little add on. Right. A little bonus. A little bonus. But it really helps lift up anything that you have. Uh, in place already I mean going through that that practice of the five R going from from one to five and jumping in between those are the things that really lift up those other systems you have in place and reinforce them to make them stronger and the other thing about it is it really encourages us to continue to keep emotions at the forefront to be with them to not ignore them you know to courageously process them knowing that as black bodies walking through this world, there are real um, impacts 
to emoting. Like everyone is not going to receive our emotions well, but does that mean we do not have the right and the privilege to them? Does it mean that we do not deserve to feel them? It is our privilege as humans to not just know our emotion, but to harness the energy of them and to use them to fuel our path forward. So this is compounded when you put our black experience into the larger context of American and Western culture in general. And it makes you wonder, like, is this a cultural thing? Oh, I think absolutely. You know, um, American culture, as I mentioned before, it doesn't, it's, it's not something that deals with emotion at all. In fact, the World Health Organization actually did a study recently that said depression is one of the leading causes to disability in Western cultures. Isn't that wild? What's even more wild is when you think about how happiness is a product mm. out here. It's bought and sold. It's it's uh, liked and saved. It's, uh, it's a commodity. It is. It, it's wicked. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's wicked when it is packaged the way that it is. It's like happiness is apparently the only state of being that is of value because it's not a problem to want to be happy. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is when an entire culture and economy is built off of the commodity of being happy. And then it's served to you. And then it's mm -hmm. in pictures. uh, It's served to you in film. It's served to you. Uh, in magazines, wherever, it's like, this is the example that you should be striving for. Right. This if you is don't what feel happiness this way, like. here's a toll-free number to call, and we'll help you with that. Yeah, and it's like, when you don't experience that, in contrast, every other emotion is wrong. It means you're wrong. It means we're wrong. And so then it compounds our desire or lack thereof to feel any of the other ones because we make it mean we did it wrong. And that's really what the problem is, right? So I guess what it bought, what it boils down to is recognizing that the world exists as a complex, layered, dynamic place. And we're going to feel happiness, but we're going to feel sadness. We're going to feel grief. We're going to feel elation. We're, we get to feel all of those things. And they don't mean that we're doing it wrong. In fact, the more feelings we feel and we have the sensitivity to recognize and the ability to harness, that means we're living life and we're living right. So this type of culture makes all of the American griots out there, all of us, tend to shy away from our stories because of this built-in negative relationship with expressing emotions. So to be a character in a story worth reading... You have to tell the whole story, which includes acknowledging all the emotions that made it worth telling in the first place. So to Raquel's son, this is why we sound so depressing. All right, so let's dive back in and go through some of the other questions that were asked of us. So we have, how do I let myself feel okay with putting myself first? And also, how do I give myself the appropriate time and space to embrace steps one through three before jumping to four? 
Why don't you uh, tell us about that, Jomil? You know, those were such really great questions. Um, And it actually reminds me of the moment that I decided to go on my personal journey, right? Um, there There was a time in my life where I recognized that, you know, I was a producer, meaning I could produce for other people. I could execute. I could, you know, make anyone else's plan or dream come to life. And I really prided myself on that, you know, being able to be a, a part of a team. You Are know? you me? <laughs> I mean, why you think we friends, bro? <laughs> you know, I did, but I did not recognize until this moment of just reflection and clarity that that was such a huge part of my identity. And I recognized that none of the projects that I was the most proud of were ones that I thought of that I wanted to do because I wanted to do them. Are you me 2020? <laughs> no, I was you maybe 20. What was that? 16. So true. You know, that's about, about around the time when it went down. So let me tell you how it happened. So when I had that realization, I made a promise to myself and I really wanted to learn what would I do for me if I chose to do it? I mean, it'd be okay if other people got on board and other people thought it was a good idea, but even if they didn't, like what would I bet on? What would I create? Because I conceived it, you know, and I was really, really curious about what that would mean for myself and for my personal journey. So it wasn't long after I made that promise to myself that one of my really, really good friends, um, we got together and we wanted to co-create something. And we we were at different places, you know, in terms of what we needed. And I'm really grateful that most of the lessons that I learned in my life, especially the most difficult ones, came through people who I absolutely loved. And I think that's important, too, because if I didn't care about her, I probably wouldn't have reflected on it as much as I had, you know, but the question of how do you be okay with putting yourself first? I think in this instance, I felt a lot of guilt because I made a choice to move forward with a plan that I had for my life and for my project and for my product that was not where she wanted to be. And we had to really reconcile that. And we had to have conversations about that. And we, we are ultimately still good. Like that relationship was strong enough to withstand that. But at the time, I had a lot of guilt and I had a lot of shame because I was putting myself first for for the first time. And I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know what to expect from that. You know what I mean? And then at the same time, trying to understand what I made other people's opinions about me mean um, to know that I was hurting her feelings at that time. Like was really, really hard for me to say no was really, really hard for me. And if it wasn't for my ability to sit with steps one through three, to be ready, because I was so ready at that point, you know, to just figure out what my voice really sounded like without the noise, you know, to really um, reframe how I was relating to my own emotions. I had to sit with all of those heavy emotions. I wrote poetry during that time. That's when the Reflections Collection came out. Um, And to reflect heavily, that's when some of my most powerful work (laughs) was created for Hive Over Matter was during that time. And so I guess my answer to that question is, 
in order to really do yourself justice in knowing what to remove and knowing what thoughts or relationships to declutter, you really can't know them without spending time and honoring the promises that you've made to yourself to reflect, to reframe, and to stay ready to do what is necessary, even if no one else is for you or if no one else is where you are at that time. Because people will come with you, some people won't, and some people will, but it'll just be a lot later. What's the one thing they should focus on first when moving into that direction of putting themselves first, that one thing? Remembering to keep the promises that you made to yourself. I think that we fear making promises to other people because we want to be the ones that follow through. We want to be dependable and we do it, right? And so sometimes you have the case of over-promising and then you realize, oh, wait, I'll only promise to the things that I can execute on. What well, works the same for ourselves. A lot of us carry the fear of making promises to even ourselves because there's this narrative that every time we promised ourselves that we would work out, we didn't do it. Every time we promised ourselves that we would eat better, we didn't do it. Every time we promised ourselves we would do, you know, whatever it is, we just, we didn't do it. So I think that it's remembering that we are worth making promises to and we are worth keeping them because it's only when we keep our promises to ourselves that we can be the best version of ourselves to serve others to be there to, for others and to show up in the world in the way that is in alignment to who we want to be. So let me actually ask you this question, because I think that you have a lot of um, thoughts and, and experience in, in this realm as well. So how do you deal with other people's opinions while you are keeping those promises to yourself? And deciding to be a better version of yourself that may not align with what someone else has in mind for you, right? And then also, how do you know you're ready and stay ready while you're, you know, moving through that that journey? I talked about this in episode six a little bit. Um, it was a story about making a decision to change my major. And just the title alone doesn't sound like a big, the biggest deal in your spectrum of life. But that particular one was the biggest for me because it created the future that I live in today. It was like one of those situations you might see in a in a movie or reading a book about that one like branch, that fork that led you down a completely different path. But it had everything to do with making a, a decision for myself, uh, excluding other people's opinions. So I was uh, I was very young because I'm very young now. So I was extremely young at this point. You do look like a child father. I'm telling you. I'm like, how do you have two half grown kids? <laughs> I was in college and I was in the school of business at FAMU. Um, great school. But, you know, I found the uniformity of it and, and some of the, the the teachings to kind of be outside of the realm of, of what I thought was important and direction I wanted to head in. And there was this other school of journalism uh, right across the street that had this whole different flavor and vibe about it that I felt spoke to me. Um, so at some point, I made a decision to change my major. But before I did, and over this entire summer, I was asking everybody, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Here's how it can go. Here's how it can be. And everybody had their two cents. Well, you already invested this much time, so stick with this. 
well, you know, marketing and journalism and, you know, you don't make any money there. Don't do that. It was a lot uh, of of both sides of the coin. And I wasn't listening to myself at all. I, I didn't even start there. And I feel like that's the big takeaway, right? Mm-hmm. What, Absolutely. What, did, what do you think? Oh, well, I didn't even think about that. Because it, I don't know. <laughs> and we stopped there. Exactly. But if you go into that feeling, it, that's the real question. How do you feel about this? Well, I, I brought it up. So I feel strongly about it to the point where I wanted to bring it to others. But I had to listen. I had to quiet that. I had to quiet the voices. And ultimately, that's what it came down to. A whole summer of, of questions, a whole summer of doubt, of guilt about this big change, about the extra year was going to add on to my life. All of that was, was from the external. The internal said, well, you love doing this thing and that place is cool. So go do it. But that didn't feel right. It felt so foreign and weird and wrong because it felt good because it was going to make me happy that I rejected it completely. And so as a result of that, I was I was really ready to keep on uh, within the school of business and just see that through. But I didn't make the change. I, I didn't even tell anybody. I went I went and took all the feedback and I made my decision myself and I went to our advisors there and I, t- I told them, I said, I want to change my major and they helped me see that through. And that resulted in me going to New York, going to Essence Magazine and, and that whole magazine life that then gave me all these skills uh, built me up to who I am today and to the jobs where I'm at. So it was a big deal uh, in retrospect to make that decision and to listen to myself because I had I not done that, who knows where I'd be and, and where my skill and happiness level would be at today. So after you received everyone else's feedback and opinion, how did you, I guess, decipher through all of the noise and finally arrive at your own opinion and kind of trust that and get ready to take an action and move forward. So my system for handling situations like this begins with isolation. I have to get away from the noise. I have to be in a quiet space, uh, not only, you know, in a physical sense, but also mentally uh, quiet my mind and have an inner dialogue. Uh, some people journal, some people uh, record themselves. But for me, it was just, you know, the inner conversation going on. Now, I did uh, pick up a practice while I was in business school that I thought was really dope, um, the SWOT analysis. So you marketers out there and other people in the business world know that. But if not, look it up. Uh, it's, it's a really great way to determine whether you should move forward with something. And I paired that with the typical pros and cons list. Uh, and and put it on paper to take a look at it and then have that inner dialogue to figure out if that's where I need to be and what I really wanted for myself, aside from the noise of the feedback and opinions of the others around me. I think that's really powerful. And it actually, um, it, it resonates, right? It reminds me of what I did uh, when I realized that my go-to was to not trust myself when a big choice happened, you know, and immediately we say, oh my God, this is a big decision. I don't know. And so we, we seek other people's opinion. We want to get feedback from other people. And it's ultimately because we haven't yet figured out how to trust or even identify in some instances, our own voice. Right. So for me, I developed a practice that I still keep many years later when I'm faced with a very important decision, I'll isolate myself, right? And I will promise not to speak it out loud for at least a week. 
and to write it down and to work through my thoughts on paper so that I can see them. And if by the end of that week, I haven't arrived to what my intuition or what my spirit is already telling me to do, which that all, I always come to a conclusion, <laughs> right? Then, okay, I'll reach out, you know, for help. But I think what that practice has done for me is it's really made me more confident in figuring out what I really think about it. Absolutely. And we, and we had this listener named Mark uh, who had this great quote about the 5R method. He says, the methods discussed are all about taking control of your life and manipulating a spiritual balance where one can achieve personal and professional satisfaction simultaneously without controversy. Come on, Mark. I know, right? Okay. Hey, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on talking about how after he dissected the 5R method for his, for his own sake, he realized that there was a lot more work to be done on himself if he really wanted to get to that point of peace and resolve internally. And it motivated him. And he shared that with us. And it was very exciting. That was awesome. Yeah, it's, it feels so wonderful to hear that what we are using on ourselves is applicable. It's transferable. It's, you know, it's real life and it can help our tribe and our listeners because that's the goal, right? It's for us as American griots to continue to be empowered to not just tell our stories, but to first see our stories, to see ourselves, the full emotion within it. And, you know, to have practices that help us to become the versions that we want to be, you know, and to continue to be inspired. So we get to this point where the success is there. We can, we might be able to see it. We know we want it really bad, mm -hmm. but then this thing comes up where we start to fear it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't, it is. It's crazy <laughs> because it's real. It's crazy because it's real. You know, it's like, so let's go back. Remember we were talking about defining success. So let's say we know what type of success we want. We've done the work to redefine it, but yet there is still this behavior of kind of like shrinking, you know, kind of self-sabotaging in some way, shape or form. And I would venture to say it's because we fear actually being successful, not that we'll fail, but what will success truly require of us? And that goes back to that whole kind of fear about the happiness too, right? Mm. Like uh, this feels guilty to, to embrace this. Who am I to be talented and wonderful? You know that poem by Marianne Williamson? Yes. So powerful. But can I tell you, she hit it on the head. I have it framed in my own home. <laughs> because it is real, you know. And we had another listener, Anthony, who had a reaction to our 5-hour method. And he says it was more like a realization that he wanted to be successful so bad that he feared the success of it. So he held back subconsciously and he, he went on to say he didn't understand why it's like that, but it happens all the time and it wowed him. Yeah, I think that it relates to our capacity to have. So if we go back to recognizing that as black people, we give, we give and we give and we, you know, do the things and we push through, right? Like it's all about survival. It's all about, um, you know, showing up, right, for others. But what's interesting in this process, when we are using the 5R method, we're like shifting our identity 
to give to ourselves so that we can redefine success and be better versions. But if we do that, that that means we have to challenge our own capacity to receive our own capacity to have. And we have to learn not to fear that greatness and to rest in knowing that we deserve it. We do. We do. We're so grateful for being able to share our thoughts on these questions. They're wonderful examples of how each of us are journeying in an effort to heal our own trauma and move forward in a way that feels good, which ultimately makes you feel happy. Exactly. You know, and along the way, we're continuously examining and tweaking and redefining our definitions of things like happiness, right? And the emotions that seem to stand in our way from feeling it. But like we said earlier, in a culture that is programmed to sell happiness like a product, it doesn't always set the right expectations for what it really is or what it looks like. Um, There's actually this article that I found um, on a blog where a young lady was telling her story of journeying through a life of trauma and how it helped her to redefine how she saw happiness. And I just thought it was so powerful. You know, she said that it's it's a groundedness. It's not happiness despite of or happiness because of happiness deserving or because I'm rewarded for something. It's not a reprieve or an escape or forgetting the state of things as they are. It is not perfection or even stability. It is the acknowledgement of everything that is right and that is good. The deepest awareness of the positive connections weaving together the life you co-created. Oh, I loved that part when she said the life you co-created in this world, the great gratitude for what has been right in front of you the entire time all around you. And I thought that that was just so real, like that was so good to take away the commodity of it, you know? Great article. Absolutely have to read it. Links in the show notes. And there will be a space and time where you become aware that life is not just about coping and healing. Here's the promise. There will be a time when you open yourself up to the idea that you are resilient Mm -hmm. and you can make it through Mm -hmm. and be able to acknowledge the duality, see through it and find the joy. That's a promise. That's an absolute guarantee, right? Like, so we may be coping and persevering in various stages of our life. But when you stick with it, when you use the practices that we're we're laying out, that time will come. And that's when we have to pay it forward, like Shay said. So Shay, shout out Shay, um, shared so many great nuggets in terms of what 5R did for her and just how she reflected through it and taking it and sharing it with her son. And so whether you are a parent, which I know many of us are, or not, right? Like once we learn something, once we fill up on something and and it clicks for us, I think our responsibility is to share it with someone we love, share it with someone who we can pay it forward to. And as Shay speaks about her son, she says, he's only five, but I noticed that as I reprogram my own mind, I consciously try to introduce new concepts to him with multiple perspectives at the same time so he doesn't have to do so much reprogramming. It's like he'll have the conventional understanding, my evolved understanding, 
and most importantly, be curious to adopt his own perspective. And as he watches TV shows, I usually watch with him to mention other perspectives because that's where the programming is happening. Mm-hmm. It really is. And this, this is something I'm already doing and I want to continue doing. It's not only important to inject other perspectives, but also get that feedback from the kids. Mm-hmm. And this can be applied to TV time with friends and family as well. Yeah, it's um, it's something that I've often said that my daughters are my biggest teachers, honestly, because through looking at them, I see what things I still need to grow through and work on and try. And I practice on them all the time. And so we're paying it forward. We're sharing and we're trying to raise them while we're raising ourselves. So the American Griots, we will share things sometimes that are heavy. We will share things that are requiring us to take a look at our trauma, to take a look at our emotions. But I'm going to tell you what, it's all so that we can be the most legendary characters in our own stories and share our own stories and, and find things that do bring us genuine grounded joy, not just happiness, right? But like an unshakable joy um, so that we can move through this life in a way that really matters. So take this and share it with somebody, share it with your, your family and friends. And it doesn't have to be just the child that you're talking about these ideas with them, bouncing these ideas and getting feedback on. The idea here is that you're on a journey and you're seeking, but you already have the truth. You already have everything that you need. This is all about digging within and pulling it out. Absolutely. And if you've gotten to the end of this episode, that means you are doing the work. You are doing this work with us. So I'm going to be very clear. I want you to like, like, subscribe, subscribe. And write a review, you know, share this episode with someone you care about. And you know what? If your energy is really high, share it with someone who you don't like so that they can get their life together. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, pass it forward and uh, like, subscribe, write a review, and let's keep building this tribe. Hey, Griots. We want to thank you so much for sharing space with us. If you enjoyed this podcast or heard something you liked, pay it forward and pass it along to someone else. We're making more episodes that celebrate our stories, so support us. Go to your preferred podcast app, rate us, and subscribe. You can also follow us on IG at The American Griot or visit the website at theamericangriot.com to get resources from the show notes or leave a comment or question on the episode. Until next time, be inspired and be on purpose. And remember to live in the now because nothing lasts forever. <laughs>